Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's the Counter Trade Podcast. John Johnson hanging with you as we wrap up the second week of preseason training camp. Redskins and Bengals in the books. Wins and losses really don't matter. A lot to talk about after this week's game against Cincinnati. A lot of things we actually really, really liked um, in D.C. Uh, we'll talk about uh, how we looked with the offensive line played. The defense I thought was fantastic. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about uh, Dwayne Haskins' performance. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Case Keenum. Uh, but first, got to get into what was probably the major storyline of the game, especially early on. Uh, junior Hockey League, uh, Ed Hockey League, Junior uh Steve Hockey League, whatever, whatever the Junior Hockey, we'll just call him Junior Hockey League. Junior Hockey League's staff uh, was abysmal. Uh, the officiating in the Redskins-Bengals game was absolutely dreadful. Uh, first quarter alone, uh, there were at least on the opening drive five, six flags that were on the field. I mean, laundry was everywhere. I thought they were calling uh, everything tight. And not only that, they were missing a lot of calls. The offensive pass interference early in the second uh, on the slant route by Cam Sims that freed uh, the other Sims uh, down the sideline for a touchdown that got called back on pass interference I thought was brutal. Uh, Cam Sims has a right to run his slant route. I'm not sure where the pass interference call was there. The offensive pass interference call later that was on Kelvin Harmon uh, late in that fourth or in that fourth quarter, I believe it was. Also awful. I mean, that's probably about as egregious an offensive pass interference call as you'll get. Uh, Harmon has a uh, an opportunity to go catch the football. He has every right to that space to go up and get it. How it's called offensive pass interference is I, I have no idea. Additionally, now that the NFL has put in the rule for replay on pass interference, uh, you'd think it would get overturned, but it didn't. Hockey League Jr. goes out there and says the call stands. Or, uh, you know, This is the issue that we're going to end up having with uh, replay uh, of pass interference calls. This works in twofold, and I've seen, I said it on Twitter uh, last night, and, and, and I'll say it again here. Once the call is made on the field, the officials are going to protect themselves. The officials are going to protect their staff uh, because you can't go out there and have every offensive pass interference call or every pass interference call overturned because that just doesn't look good for the staff that's on the field, uh, the officiating crew that's on the field. Uh, so with that said, they're going to protect their own. Uh, it has to be clear and, and overly egregious. The problem with that is these pass interference calls that were called last night were obviously 
and or were obvious, I should say, not penalties. Uh, I think anybody in, who was watching in their right mind, take bias aside, would would say that these were, you know, brutal calls. Uh, but the officials are going to err on the side of their own staff, especially in the preseason, uh, where you know eyes are, you know, or attention is on them as a crew. They're going to protect their own, and I think that's a problem the NFL is going to run into uh, this season. I thought that, uh, so that, that's something to keep an eye on. I thought the uh, the helmet-to-helmet contact or the lowering the helmet call on Josh Norman in the first quarter, I thought that was just terrible as well. That's a good football play. Here's what I would have liked to see. Uh, when the NFL implemented this rule coming into the season, it was a good idea to you know get rid of the targeting, uh, something we've seen in college football. But here's what I would have liked them to see. I would have liked it where if it's made, the call is made on the field, it's an automatic review from, you know, a facility in New York City or wherever it might be where they can sit down and review. And if it's, if it ends up being a helmet targeting call, the play stands, it's 15 yard penalty, whatever it might be, you move on. If it's not, the NFL then has a right to say, okay, it's not targeting. There's no penalty. It stands on very similar to what we see in college football. Now, do they always get it right in college football? No, we've seen that become a problem there as well. However, if you're going to implement this rule, there needs to be some sort of a check and balance going on within it because the game is moving entirely too fast for a lot of these officials. And, you know, look, some of them do an excellent job, and by and large, they do a pretty decent job on game day. This crew in particular had a very awful night, and I don't think anybody can say that they didn't. They were particularly bad. But on average, the officials do a pretty decent job week in and week out. This call, however, that they're, they're, this rule that we're implementing this season is too hard for them to make the right decision 100 out of 100 times. And the problem is with that is that is a major call to be made on the field. It's not a subjective pass interference kind. Uh, it kind of is subjective, but it's not the same as a pass interference call. This is a guy going in to make a tackle, and if he happens to lower his helmet just a bit or makes helmet-to-helmet contact, you know, we're going to get a 15-yard flag. Well, there needs to be some rules involved in it. What if he's pushed from behind and can't control himself and goes in and, and, you know, the helmet's there? What if it's in Norman's case where he actually head is up and he lowers the shoulder into the guy and he's not going helmet-to-helmet? That's a 15-yard penalty there, and that's just too hard for officials to make on the field, bang-bang, while they're also looking for holding and uh, pass interference, which we saw a bunch last night, uh, legal contact, so on and so forth. You know, face mask, things like that, things of that nature. You know, that's just too much. I think there needs to be a checks and balances within the league. This is something they should have discussed, and it should have been in place going into the year. If you're going to put this penalty in, you need to make sure that you're going to get this call correct because that's a big call. And then on top of it, if you get a couple of personal fouls, you get thrown out of the game. That's a problem. Okay, so if you make the bad call the first time, and then let's say a guy gets another personal foul, he's out of the game. You know, that could be a major loss for a team because, you know, the first one happened to be, uh, you know, a, a, a poor decision by an official in a situation that was just too much. So looking back on it, one of the major stories in it was the, the poor performance by the officials, a uh, struggling performance from 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 that crew from Hockey League. Uh, you know, preseason is, is for the players. I guess you could say preseason is for the officials as well. But if this is going to be a a long-standing problem going throughout the season with the new uh, pass interference call and then the replay to uh, overturn or, or, or uphold and we're not going to get any changes, you know, it's going to be a problem throughout the year. Now, to the better parts of the game, I thought Dwayne Haskins looked great. Uh, one touchdown in the game, that fumble. Uh, we, again, I, I'm not sure what Hockey League and his staff was looking for. 
Uh, it did not seem like an empty hand situation. Seemed like the arm was going forward. Should have been an incomplete pass. So I'm going to take that turnover away. Uh, he did a great job moving the pocket. I thought there were on several occasions where the pass rush got to Haskins a little bit. He did a nice job stepping up in the pocket and taking off and running when he had to. Uh, we saw him actually stand in the pocket on that 51-yard touchdown pass in the second quarter. Stood in the pocket. Knew the pressure was coming in his face and threw an excellent deep ball down the middle of the field. Uh, that's the type of things that gets you, sh you should get excited for. Uh, he, this is the, the biggest thing that I, I took away from his performance uh, on, on Thursday against Cincinnati was he didn't turn the football over. Uh, we saw in, in week one the two interceptions, the no touchdowns. He looked like a guy that was still kind of seeing, he was feeling his way through the game. I thought Thursday against Cincinnati, he looked extremely comfortable, much more comfortable than he did in week one. Uh, he, he he had better poise. It seemed like he had much better control and command of the huddle. What he was seeing on the field, diagnosing things before it happened. I thought Jay Gruden uh, did an excellent job early in the game, getting him into a rhythm. When you get a young quarterback, and I don't care if it's regular season or preseason, when you get a young quarterback in a game, it's about getting them comfortable and in a rhythm early. Uh, the first play, we saw him bootleg uh, Haskins out of the pocket. He hits the tight end over the middle. Um, he, and there, was another uh, he, there was another play where he was able to dump one off to the back. The back picks up a couple yards. I think he picked up like 10 yards or so. That gets the quarterback into a rhythm, gets him feeling comfortable. He's seen a couple passes get, comp uh, get completed. It's like playing golf in a lot of ways. You know, you go to the putting green, you drop the ball down, and you start real close. And you get a feel for a couple putts going in. Then you can start to back it up. You start to feel good about your putting stroke. Well, a quarterback can be the same way. You get him a couple easy passes to complete, a couple easy throws to some guys, get some big chunk yardage, get decent yardage out of it. And you know what? Now he's starting to feel good about what he's seeing. He's starting to feel good about the rhythm he's in, the rhythm of the offense, uh, and so on and so forth. So I thought that was a good thing by Gruden and the offensive staff, getting him some early confidence, some early easy plays to diagnose, some early plays to get him in a rhythm, and then... As the game progressed, we saw Haskins kind of, you know, continue to develop and continue to make good plays with the football. Uh, I thought he was excellent. I wish, in fact, that halftime had not shown up at the time that it did. It would have been nice to see him continue off of that rhythm that he was having. It seemed like that halftime break kind of, you know, breaks up a rhythm a little bit. But, again, I thought he was very good. I thought Case Keenum looked pretty good in his short stint. Um, I, you know, I'm not, can't put too much on what I saw there. Uh, again, he, he made some nice throws. I thought he threw, uh, he was, he was aggressive when he could be. Um, he did not get much help from his offensive line. Neither did Dwayne. Um, there were way too many sacks, too much pressure. We'll get into that in a bit, but overall, I thought Keenum did a nice job of controlling the offense. He seems to be a lot more comfortable. I know early in the spring there was some talk that he was having a harder time picking up the, the playbook than, than most had hoped for um, coming into the year uh, when they thought, you know, veteran quarterback should pick up Jay Gruden's quarterback-friendly offense. It seemed like he was, you know, maybe a little bit behind the curve, but I think what we've seen here is, you know, a veteran quarterback get a hold of it, uh, get, get, get into a rhythm, start to get comfortable with Gruden's offense. I will say this, I'm still in the camp where I would start Case Keenum week number one. I think it'd be nice to let Dwayne kind of ease his way into the NFL season. Look, if it gets away from the Redskins um, and they have a poor, you know, a poor season, then you can put the young guy in. But for now, with the, with the uncertainty along the, the, the left tackle position, I'm firmly in belief that we should, the skin should start Keenum. He's earned that right as a veteran quarterback. He hasn't done anything to lose the job. I think Haskins has pushed him quite well. No offense to Colt McCoy. He can't get on the field, so I can't put him in the game. Uh, this is a guy who knows knows the offense. He's been here for a long time. But 
no offense, if you're not on the field and I can't see you produce, and you know what we've seen him produce over a period of time lends us to believe that maybe he's you know he's not an NFL starting quarterback. You know, right as of right now, Case Keenum's got to be the starter going into Week One. And that's my personal belief. Uh, I, you know, if, if, if Dwayne started week one, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, blow up the Brinks truck or, or I wouldn't be, you know, up in arms. Uh, you know, the, the, the kid's a special talent, but I wouldn't put him in week one. I'd give him some time. Another, uh, we're going to get through all the good points here first. And I, uh, so before we get to the negatives, really want to talk about the first unit defense. I thought they were absolutely outstanding last night. Uh, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, uh, are just terrific up the middle. You can see uh, why the, the Redskins were excited about bringing in both of those guys. You can see what excites fans about them. They're high motor guys. They get after the quarterback. They stop the run. They're intelligent football players, and they make players around them better because teams now have to double on them. You know, it frees up some guys like we're hoping to see Monte Sweat get through. You know, it frees up Ryan Kerrigan, gives him a little more room. It gives the linebackers some more space to breathe. Uh, Josh Harvey Clemens, we saw come up and, and make a big tackle in the middle of, the, uh, you know, where he shot the gap and was able to make, uh, make a tackle. I think it's just the ability of those guys to eat blocks and draw attention that free up everyone else uh, to, to make plays. I thought the first team defense was great. Uh, that you know there would have been uh, early on a three and out, but again you know junior hockey league and hockey league crew got in the way of things uh, first with the Norman penalty and uh, they were just they allowed they extended the drive, but the Redskins got their hands up. I thought uh, uh, I believe it was Deron Payne he got his hands up, forced an interception uh, from uh, Monte Nichols who was able to take it to the house. Uh, so that's the type of thing that you want to see from the defense. Now the biggest thing that I noticed in in game two and, and it's the thing that I've noticed. Um, all preseason thus far. And I don't know if it's been the addition of Ray Horton. I don't know if it's been the addition of Rob Ryan on the defensive side of the ball. But there's a swarming mentality to this Redskins defense. If you watch, and, and you know, I've, I watched the game once, haven't had a chance to really break down the film, but I was able to break down week one's performance. If you watch, on average, there are four or five guys going to the football. And that's what you want to see. You want to see this relentless pursuit from a defensive unit to get the ball carrier, all eyes on the football, and going to attack it and make a tackle. There were several occasions in last night's game, or Thursday's game, I should say, where Washington was all over the football, where there was five, six, seven guys. I mean, on the screenplay in the first quarter, you saw Josh Allen, uh, Josh Allen, Jonathan Allen chase it down from the backside. Uh, and, and make a play. Uh, that's the type of thing you want to see. And like I said, I don't know if it's a Ray Horton thing, if it's a Rob Ryan thing. These are two good defensive guys that uh, have a, you know a history of, of per, you know relentless pursuit uh, as part of their mo. Whatever it is, it, it, it's impressive to watch it's, and it's interesting. As a guy who played uh, college football on the offensive side, there's nothing more intimidating uh, to a team than seeing. A unit on the opposite side swarming to the football. Yes, size, you know, oh, this guy's big or, you know, these guys look strong. Yeah, but so do the offensive guys, right? Like when you, when you get between the lines, you know, everybody's strong. Everybody has a skill set. But what's more demoralizing to a unit is no matter what, no matter what the score is, no matter what the yardage is, no matter how many yards you picked up, that there's more of them around the football than your team. 
after a while, it just becomes draining. It's like, it's almost like having when you're watching basketball or you hear the, you know, the whole thing where the defense is swarming, where it feels like you've got six guys on a court, like six on five or six on four on, on defense. Or, you know, when uh, in a hockey layman's term, when a puck is in the corner and there's, you know, a constant buzzing from the offensive team where the defense can't pick up the puck because it just seems like they have more guys going after it and, and there's a relentless pursuit. It's the same thing when it comes to defense. The Redskins have shown that in two preseason games thus far where it's a relentless pursuit to the football and it, it can be demoralizing to the offense on the other side where it's like these guys are constantly coming after you and, and, and it's something you like to see and it's something that eventually wears on an offense as the game goes on. The, the constant hitting, the constant moving to the football in the fourth quarter that will prove to you know in your favor where the offense is going to make mistakes. The offensive line is not going to be able to pick up a block. The, the running backs going to you know maybe fumble the football. The quarterback who's taken so many hits in the first three quarters, you know, gets a little gun shy, throws one over the middle, and, and you get your interception and your turnover, and maybe it wins you a ball game. So these are things to look at. These are extremely you know big positives to look at for the Redskins, on, especially on the defensive side with the first unit. Uh, I thought they were very, very good, and it, and it really starts up front with Deron Payne and John, uh, uh, Jonathan Allen, just t- uh, two terrific Alabama guys. And, and look, you can see that uh, that Nick Saban Alabama influence, where you got guys that are, are you know want to win. They know how to play the game correctly. They come from a college where they're being taught to do the things the right way, uh, where it's a winning mentality, and you can kind of see it start to rub off on. Uh, some of the players around them and, and and the culture change that they're trying to bring on that defensive side of the ball and it, it helps bring in other Alabama guys like Landon Collins who already know about it so I thought the Redskins defense was fantastic now conversely the offensive line is still a struggle uh, I thought Jerron Christian had a up and down kind of game he's not ready I don't think there's any sort of uh, way to put it around it. I thought in week one, he had a very, very tough game. Um, I thought in week one, Donald Penn looked like he should have been the starter. And there's been nothing to change my mind to think that Donald Penn should be the starting left tackle if Trent Williams is not coming back. And in all, and by all indications, it, it doesn't seem like Trent's coming back at all. Uh, Washington's going to have to make a decision. And, and let's be frank that this week, week three, is the biggest week of the preseason when it comes to this Trent Williams decision. Uh, at this point, you're going to have to make decisions on your roster. Week three is usually when the starters get the most amount of run. Uh, this is when they're going to be on the field the most. And... You know, after, you know, this week, you should get an idea of who's going to be the starting left tackle. And if Donald Penn is your left tackle, that's fine. I talked about him two weeks ago where I thought he'd be, he, he performed much better at left tackle than right because he's always played on the left side. The footwork is something he's comfortable with. The strength is something he's comfortable with. The moves that people will put on him are something that he's comfortable uh, 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 looking at because it's something, a side that he's played uh, throughout his career. It's not as easy as people think to flip-flop and go from right to left. There's just so much footwork. Again, that's something we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. If Penn is your starting left tackle and you still don't feel comfortable with that, this is where the Redskins will find their problems. Uh, We should know this is a crucial week of whether or not we're going to have Trent Williams for the season because your starters need to be set. 
at the end of this week. It has to. You really have to have a general idea, especially off the, on the offensive line, where you've got to develop some cohesion and some uh, sort of uh, chemistry between the guys. Now, what I do like the what the Redskins are doing is that they've pan, uh, partnered Penn with Wes Martin um, as the second unit because... You know, from what I'm hearing, and it seems like, you know, a lot of people are reporting this, that they think that it's going to be Martin and Penn as their starting uh, left side with Flowers and Christian as the backup. So you have that the cohesiveness between the, 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 the guard and tackle as they're working in tandem right now. But we really want to get them working in tandem with the rest of the offensive line. We know the Redskins like to pull a lot. We know that there's a lot of movement. you got to have those guys in there so that they can understand how each person that works on that offensive line works with them. The the offense the offensive line is something that you know they have to work as one. So it'll be important to get make a decision here uh, in the next couple weeks. I thought Flowers struggled again. I thought he wasn't terrible in week one, uh, but I didn't see enough improvement from him in week two where I could say, yeah, he you know he solidified his his, his starting job. Same thing with Wes Martin. I thought there were a couple times where he looked good. Uh, he got beat uh, in that third quarter. Uh, if I have that correct, he got beat on a couple moves on the inside, let some pressure up the middle. In fact, on the touchdown pass uh, from Haskins in that second quarter, I believe it was Martin who got beat on the inside that let the pressure up the middle. Haskins ended up making the nice throw standing in the pocket, but these are things you have to be concerned about. The Redskins now have to be a, uh, make a conscious effort to keep an extra body in. Uh, the backs have to do a better job. In week one, I was very, very uh, disappointed with some of the, the blocking uh, of the running backs. I thought Samaje P. Ryan had a rough week one in terms of picking up some blocks. Um, and I thought in week two, it's kind of, you know, same story with Samaje. You know, the running back position we know is set at the top. It's Geis, it's Peterson, and it's Thompson. And then you can figure out the backups kind of after that. And P. Ryan coming in, you thought he might, you know, the wing group that talked about him in the spring, he had lost some weight, he looked better. Uh, he'd been in the system and he was healthy. Uh, but he's proven nothing to me that he deserves a roster spot. I'd rather keep an extra wide receiver at this point. Um... And potentially, you know, you got a Bryce Love that, you know, probably is not going to play this season. Maybe he does come back middle of the year. He starts in the pup. You know, maybe you got a guy in the practice squad like they used to do with Capri Bibbs uh, the past couple of seasons. You practice squad a guy and then you bring him in, you know, if need be, quote unquote injuries, you know, happen. Um, but as of right now, I don't think P. Ryan's done enough to, to, to make this roster. I thought last night on the, on the handful of carries that he got, uh, he looked tentative. I thought he missed a few holes. Um, he just doesn't seem to have that in-game explosion that I think people were kind of hoping for uh, coming into this year. It just has not shown. Now, yes, running the football in preseason is a little difficult, especially when you've got um, various different line combinations and you know, guys trying to learn and earn positions. And, you know, those things can play into it, but, you know, you still got to make some plays. You still got to hit the right holes. You still got to pick the right blocks. Like those are things that, regardless of the offensive line and, and the chemistry they're having, you still got to be in the right place at the right time. And I think the, some of the missed blocks that he's had, and, and this goes for a couple of the, the, the running backs that are trying to earn positions um, in DC, the, the missed blocks when you when you have uncertainty on your offensive line and you're needing extra help, you just can't have that. Um, so that's something that I think uh, w you know will 
we'll see week three. Uh, I don't expect to see much out of Peterson and Geis in week three. Um, I don't expect to see much out of Thompson in week three as well. Look, they're neither, no, none of the three really need much playing time in my opinion. Uh, we know what we kind of have with all three of those backs there. Uh, I, the goal for me would be to get them into the regular season, into week one healthy uh, with, a, with a quarterback that they, they know and then with an offensive line that they can trust. Um, and that's the biggest thing for the Redskins right now is solidifying this offensive line, getting it in place where we can have something that you can trust. And, and you know what? If it's not the group here, you for darn sure better be keeping an eye on the waiver wire or the trade market. Uh, especially if Trent's not coming back. I said this a couple weeks ago. This is, you know, training camp always has its surprises. Oh, you know, there, there's always a surprise or two uh, of a guy who gets, you know, released or cut that, uh, you know, was penciled in originally as a starter um, or had been starting for the majority of his career that, you know, a lot of people are, are big fans of, and, you know, just got beat out by a rookie or uh, he was due a contract bonus and wasn't playing up to, the, the, the standards that they kind of had hoped uh, and, and they didn't want to pay the contract bonus. So there, they, they, there will be options for the Redskins if, if they can't figure out you know, if Trent's not coming back and, and they don't feel comfortable uh, with the offensive line. But from what I've seen thus far, I think Donald Penn is your starting left tackle. I think he, I don't think Jerron Christian is ready yet. Um, you know, Jerron might be better suited as a right tackle uh, when it's all said and done, but um, that's Morgan Moses' spot, and you don't flip Morgan to the left side because he's got talent and he's done it before because you don't want to weaken two sides, uh, you know, instead of having one, one solid side. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, like I said, I think week three is the biggest week uh, for the Washington Redskins. I think we shall have an idea coming out of this week who is going to be the starters. Uh, or at least have a, a, a close idea of who's going to be the starters and, and potentially who's going to be uh, um, the backups or if there's going to be major moves made uh, afterwards, whether it's the uh, trade of Trent Williams or a, uh, you know, a, a waiver claim, so on and so forth. So those are our, our thoughts after week two. Uh, again, lots to like from what we saw in, in camp. Uh, and against Cincinnati, I thought the receivers did a nice job uh, creating, going up and getting the football, being aggressive. I, again, I thought Haskins was very good. Um, I thought there were flashes at times from people on the offensive line who did some things. Uh, I think there was some improvement from certain guys. Like I said, I don't think Christian has solidified himself as the number one, but I thought he improved from week one to week two, um, and, and that's a good thing. I thought Wes Martin had his moments. I thought, you know, Flowers had his moments. But, again, neither one of them good enough uh, to solidify that starting job. And week three is going to be extremely important. And, again, the defense, I thought, was outstanding. The first team unit defense, again, outstanding performance, a lot to like. It's a championship, in my opinion, championship caliber style of defense if it can stay healthy, okay, and continue to be relentless um, for, four, you know, three, four downs. Um, the entire you know football game um, for an entire season. If they can continue to be relentless. It's a championship level uh, of defense. I thought the linebackers. That was a uh, uh, get to that. I thought the linebacking core. When we talked about it going into you know going into week one. They needed to step up. I thought the linebackers as a unit played very well um, for the most part. Uh, I, met, I singled out a couple guys earlier in the pod where I thought they uh, you know were 
flew to the football, shot some gaps. Um, they they saw the play develop, and then they shot the gaps for some tackles in the backfield. I thought Bostic looked good um, at times. Uh, I thought you know he was he was he was noticeable on the field. Um, so uh, there were some things to like. I thought the, you know it was a concern coming into the camp. Uh, you know I made it clear I was concerned about the Redskins linebacking core coming into camp, but I've been pleasantly surprised with the, the speed they've shown, the tackling ability that I've seen. Uh, the, the guys from are, are flying to the flying to the football, wrapping and hitting. I, I, again, I don't know if it's Rob Ryan. I don't know if it's Ray Horton. If their additions to the defense have really been. Um, that beneficial, but whatever it is, it, 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 I've been very impressed with the first team defense and, and the defensive unit as a whole. So that's how we wrap it up. We, we, we head into week three here, a big week for the Redskins. We'll see what uh, this week has in store for us and what has in store for them. I expect it to be a major week for them in terms of making a decision. We'll have a recap after the third week, just like we did here after week two. And like I said, we should have some news. So we'll bring back, we'll have more. Until next time, I'll catch you guys a little later.